It's time. Oh, oh, get the fist up. Oh, do it. Fist in the camera. Let's do it. Yeah. 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 Woohoo. Alex can't do it right now. <laughs> it's all good. Just one <laughs> oh, yeah. It is time for the next Versus episode. Today, we got Legends on the panel. Today's special guest, Rick Myers, Kung Fu Santa in the house. Y'all know who he is. That's right. Yeah. Oh, oh, he's getting ready. He's getting ready. That's right. <laughs> Kyle Wong. That's right. Frank Jang. That's right, master of remaster. Eric, the Asian movie enthusiast. Wing Chung, enthusiast. Martial artist teacher. Alex Richter, how you doing? Welcome first time to the channel. And my brother from another mother, Bobby Samuels, the legend. Started it all. That's right. We got him here. We didn't know we were going to get him today. But uh, today he just came in. He just went at the door, kicked the door in. That's it. We're going to get it going today. And uh, Rick has been on a roll. Rick has been on a roll uh, suggesting these Versus episodes because last week was extremely ridiculously hard for me to pick between Project Game and Police Story. Uh, it was it was tough. So he suggested this one today as well for this week. And another really hard one because I love both of these movies. We got the first It Man, the original one. In my opinion, still the best one out of the four. That's right. Versus The Prodigal Son, the classic that started it all. And we're going to get into it. We're going to talk about what we liked, what we didn't like. And, of course, chat and Movie Dojo Army that's watching right now. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, there will be spoilers. Just warning you guys because we like to get into We like to get in it. These movies been out for a while, so it's all right. <laughs> we're going to talk about spoilers. 21 years and, is a while. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. And then uh, we will vote at the end. It'll be interesting to see who wins today. What film wins today if you do not mind, I usually read the plot synopsis. Uh oh, oh, he's gotten both there. That's right. Ooh, I have that old one there. I got that I, DVD. You mean the Prodigal Son? Did you mean yeah, the Son? I still you know, got... they use my English subtitle for this. Oh, okay. The, the English, the English subtitles on this is, is done by me. Oh, nice, nice, yeah. nice. See, Master of Remaster subtitles on Ip Man because they got the joke right. I mean, they get the joke wrong. We'll talk about that. Sorry, I'm re I'm looking over here. So. <laughs> All right, uh, Rick Myers, will you do the give us the honor and the pleasure here of giving us a brief plot synopsis for those that are new here that are watching on the Prodigal Son, which came out in 1981. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna give you the plot when we have Alex and Frank here. Okay, let's segue it. Who wants to do it? Let's let we'll save Alex for it, man. Frank. Quick plot okay. synopsis for new people that are sure. they have nothing they don't know anything about the prodigal son. Sure. Well, you know, the prodigal son was really about this young Tan played by um Yun Bill on the right here, who you know, who um who's like a rich family's son, you know, he's kind of like a spoiled brat, and you know, he's trying to let everyone know that he's like a you know kung fu master, he knows kung fu, he, he can fight when when in reality he hardly knows any kung fu, you know. His dad would pay people money just to, you know have their asses kicked by him and then but once he um you know met the uh peking opera master played by the great and late lam cheng yang who i still think this is his greatest role i mean i know people love him for mr vampire i'm sorry <laughs> this this was 
Lam Ching Ying's greatest role. No anyway, question. so after, no without a doubt, right? Okay, yeah. so, no so anyway, so after right. Ming Biu has experienced his real kung fu, and then also um, when the you know some, some Qing government official uh, headed by the guy played by Frankie Chan uh, came down south. Uh, I mean, yeah, came came to the you know came came to came down south to try to chat, you know, find some find someone can fight him because he himself knows kung fu. And got his, you got Yun Biu's master involved, and and got most of the Peking Opera troop, you know, his master's Peking Opera troop members killed. Uh, they seek help from you know this calligraphy master played by the great Samuel Hong, and you know, and then there's this nice little rivalry between Lam Jing Ying and Samuel. But in turn, they both benefited Yun Biu because because of their rivalry, they ended up both teaching Yun Biu the real Wing Chun Kung Fu, and so that set up this. Final stage where he will ultimately fight in the the evil Qing official played by Frankie Chan, who is really yes. not that evil. But I'll talk about him uh, yeah. when I when I give me you know when I give my comments. All right, awesome. Well, well said, well put. All right, so we're gonna go ahead and start with me. We'll go all the way. We'll we'll segue this way all the way around to Frank, and then we'll end with Bobby. All right. So man, uh, I think that exact DVD you held up. <laughs> Frank, I think that's the one I, that's how I saw the movie, to be honest. Uh, it's not like I can, oh, I'm going to turn to Channel Fox and uh, watch the prodigal son. It's not like that out here. I'm pretty sure that the DVD, I, I was just, at the time, I was really trying to collect a lot of uh, Yun Bu and uh, Sammo Hung's movies. And I was like, oh, what is this? What's the prodigal son? So I bought the DVD, watched it, loved it. It was hilarious. The shit got real at some point. <laughs> I was like, this is kind of fucked up. The movie kind of turned dark there for a little bit. But, uh, you know, Samuel's got that good balance of comedy and, and oh, the shit's getting real. Uh, but uh, the fight choreography was great. I loved it. I loved the soundtrack. I still had that soundtrack in my head, that song that repeats throughout the film. And when I got done with it, as soon as it ended, I looked at I, I looked over to my wife and I said, they don't make it like this anymore. And this over time has kind of become, you know, I just, I've just, it's this film. I grown to love it more over time. And this is probably going to go down as one of my favorite martial arts movies of all time. Why? Because I can watch it any day. I can watch it tomorrow. I can watch it the day after. It's just a fun, uh, kick-ass movie. And I'm throwing shade right now. I'm throwing shade right now. The end finale fight in this movie completely destroys It Man's end finale fight. Sorry. There's no comparison. There's no comparison. Sorry. So, getting that out of the way right now. <laughs> Not to say I didn't enjoy the end fight in It Man, but there's no comparison. There is none. So, But that's just my opinion. But, yeah, in terms of negatives, I can't really find anything negative about the movie. I the only thing I can think of is maybe today's modern day audiences may have issues with a few things in terms of like they don't really understand the culture like what is this opera why are they singing and now they're fighting now what is going on like today's like the today's younglings is what I'm talking about like that they're probably <laughs> Kyle <laughs> they're probably not going to be you know they're probably not going to really know that that you know what what's really happening here in terms of it man it's nonstop action throughout the film. So it's kind of like the more modern day audience will probably lean towards more of Ip Man. And there's nothing wrong with that. I love Ip Man. If I had to make a top five, top, top ten Dunian movies of all time, Ip Man's going on there. Ip Man's phenomenal. I really enjoy it in terms of an action martial arts flick. 
Uh, but you know, I don't know. We'll see. We'll, we'll see what, it, what my vote will be at the end. I may go back and forth. We shall see once I get the information and and uh, the knowledge that will be shared with, from the people that's here. But Prodigal Son is great. Prodigal Son is great. Suspense. Your false suspense. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know because we've we've had guests on here that came in with uh, I'm picking this movie and then by the end of the panel after hearing all they had to say they picked the other movie so it can happen. <laughs> all right, so love the movie. Can't really think of anything negative about it. So Kyle, positive positives and negatives of Prodigal Son. Um, so I definitely watched this when I was really young too, and that's how my three-year-old mind could fathom old-school kung fu movies. But now that I rewatched it again for this uh, versus episode, it it really helped a lot, and especially your book, Rick, helped out a lot more also. Because if I'm correct, and please see see for Alex help out. This was about Lung Zhan, right? Um, the grandmaster of Chen Mashun, which then would teach Yip, Yip Man. So definitely that story. And I was like, okay, this is good to see the lineage of how <laughs> we would go on to and then even get to the, which I will dub the Wilson Yip, Yip Man universe. Then it goes into the, all, all those other universes, which we'll get into later. God damn those fucking universes. Ugh. This is why I hate cinematic universes. <laughs> but... Um, when I started watching this with fresh eyes even more, I started appreciating Yen Biu as like the not even just being a rascal, just being that top, like kind of egoistic, like I'm a top fighter, no one could stop me. And then when you get to Wong Tai, um, Wong Tai, the Peking Opera, Wing Chun Master, and he beats him, he doesn't, um, Yambio's character just really feels very defeated but humbled at the same time when he just gets knowing that that revelation that his father just paid off everyone. And you're, you're just wondering, like, how is he going to learn? And the fact that he keeps bugging Wong Tai throughout the picking opera up until when it gets destroyed, it, you just feel that journey and wondering, why are you going to train me? And then he gets to Sam Hung's character and even some Hong's character is like teaching his daughter, like, yeah, I want you to train, but she doesn't want to train. But here's Yimbu's character wanting to train too, and yet Wong Tai won't won't train him. And it just really felt like I understood that kind of mindset of how one you want to train, and one master wants doesn't want to let anyone know what the style is, while another one is willing to share that knowledge, but even like impressing that onto like his own like family lineage, it really does not like resonate in more of a modern way of like, we want to teach you this, but you have to carry it on. But one person will not like teach it because it's like, it's not allowed in certain, yeah. certain areas. And, but them kind of understanding together, especially taking jabs at each other during the training montage. It's like, Oh, this is how you're supposed to fight. This is how you're supposed to fight. And, but he fuses it together to make like his own Wing Chun in the end. And just understanding that to make, not even to make, just to adapt every kind of style and make it your own style. It really resonated a lot more as a martial artist. And even now as a film, film audience member now for me. And I was like, this really shows that Kung Fu journey for that 
one character for Yen Biao's character. And trying to think of any negatives would be like his servant. I think the servant, <laughs> just as much as he tries, like, man, he takes a beating a lot, but really he just. <laughs> Him just paying off everyone just to make his master look good. I was like, man, I I don't know what will happen to you, but geez, you're just you're just creating trouble for him that doesn't work out in the end. But I think that's the only negative. But really, I this film was very humbling to watch with fresh eyes again, and I really love it. Awesome, awesome, Rick. Kyle, that's prodigal a, son. That, Kyle, that is a that is a terrible detriment. No, that's. The, the flaw you had with it was not a flaw. That was part of the plot. The, uh, this movie, I thought, was absolutely extraordinary. It was very unusual, even at the... Oh, yeah, this, is my, this is my copy of it. Which nice. is, I'm not sure which version of the... Uh, it's a fortune star. There we go. That's the one. But I, you still have... You have the, uh, the sleeve. Which was yes. Oh, good. So we're similar. Anyway... It's an extraordinary movie. Uh, I consider it um, not even possibly Sammo Hung's greatest directorial accomplishment. Sammo, uh, like someone else we can probably discuss a little later tonight, has a tendency to sabotage himself um, for whatever reason. He'll make... He, he, he's in competition with Jackie all the time. And Jackie make, can make straightforward movies that hold together while Samo rebels against that. This is probably his most consistently and best designed film. And it's so much more mature than most of the other films that he's done. Because putting it into the Peking opera uh, environment and also talking about that specific kind of performer in Peking Opera, a man who plays the female characters in Peking Opera because women weren't allowed to do it. There's a whole Choi Hark movie called Peking Opera Blues about three women who are trying to get into Peking Opera and are not being allowed. So the fact that he's concentrating on that, also taking his, his brother, his martial brother, Lam Ching Ying, and giving him this role, and Lam Ching, Lam Ching Ying, who was, I believe, also in Enter the Dragon and many other movies, he steps up. He's, he's always been a consummate <clears throat> performer. This is a great performance. This is an extraordinary performance. The whole thing is literally remarkable. And then we get to the section... First, it's about fathers and sons. That servant is not paying off these people because he wants to. It's because his master, Yun Biao's father, is demanding, ordering him to do so. And his father, unlike the other father who we will meet, Frankie Chan's father, is doing it so he doesn't want his son hurt. He would rather lie to his son. I mean, these... This is already so many levels deeper than virtually anything else Samo has done. As good as Samo is, but the plot is so much higher and above everything else. Then we get to Samo. Now, Samo, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on your point of view, because I hear a lot of other people, and I've heard a lot of other people talking about this before we did this episode, when I had 
when I put up the, when I shared your Facebook post, people have responded to me and said, that's the funniest comedy I ever saw. And it's funny, I didn't remember a lot of the comedy. I remembered the incredible drama and the amazing plot line. The comedy I remembered was the Samo sequence where he does that, you know, he does all the paintings and stuff on the floor. Also very unusual for Samo. <laughs> an over the first cast someone who could be legitimately considered someone who looks like a member of his family. Normally he would, you know, cast some Hong Kong starlet in this sort of thing. And also he treats her with respect, which was very rare for Samo with female characters. So but he couldn't play it straight. He had to push the comedy a little further. Up until that moment, this movie had verisimilitude coming out of its ass. I mean, it, it was so authentic. It was so believable. All the dramatic stuff, all the character interaction was right on the money. Totally believable. Building, building, building. And then we get to the Samuel scene. And we have the farting sequence. And we have the funny, uh, you know, <laughs> portrait sequence. And we had things that weren't as realistic. Everything else was incredibly realistic. I'll let Alex talk about the Wing Chun. I thought the Wing Chun was just kind of like head and shoulders above everything else, of all, all the other Wing Chun I'd ever seen. And again, the brilliant thing with the fathers and the sons and then the two brothers, because Samuel and, and Lam Ching Ying were brothers. So they taught the yin and the yang of Wing Chun to Yun Biao. Oh man, as you can tell, I could go. I could go on. It's just a brilliant movie. Uh, you can't. You will never be able to guess what I'll vote for at the end. And now <laughs> I, I am tired of hearing about me. I want to hear what Alex has to say. Take it, punk. All right, Alex. Positives and negatives, if there's any. For me, it's mostly positives about this movie. Um, like everything Rick said on the story side and the dramatic side, there's nothing I could say that could add to that. That's 100% the way I feel about this film. It's definitely Samuel Hung's best constructed movie, both dramatically and the action scene. I mean, it won you know, the golden horse for, for action choreography that year. And it was nominated for Best Film as well. So, I mean, it was really quite a stunning film. Uh, on the Wing Chun side, Samuel Hung's second attempt to do Wing Chun formally in a film. His first one was Warriors 2. And this one is definitely a lot more. Yeah, there you go. This the Rick Scott the Warriors. Yeah. And it's definitely a lot more polished in terms of the Wing Chun choreography. The Wing Chun training sequence in, in the midsection is very funny how you have both of them kind of... Uh, pitting against each other, both Samuel Hung's Wong Wah Bo character and Lam Cheng Ying's Lan Yi Tai kind of going back at it with the competing ways to present Wing Chun. And that's really funny to kind of see them both go at it and have uh, Lam Cheng Ying teach it in a more formal, traditional way and Samo kind of go a little bit more into the kind of freestyle way of interpreting it for himself. Uh, it, it's really amazing. Uh, um, like that dynamic is really really fantastic and the first time i saw this movie was on the big screen i saw it in the varsity theater in seattle and it oh, wow. blew my mind to see <laughs> this on the big screen when the, the opera troupe is being when the whole opera is being burned by uh you know by, by the 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 disciples of of, of the, the the bad by god's eye 
Yeah, and there's a scene where uh, Lam Ching-ying does the, like, handsprings and then flips over the flaming uh, flag. To see that on the big screen is so unbelievably impressive. It blew my mind. And that entire movie from, you know, it changes very dramatically, as was mentioned before. It gets very serious when an opera troupe was murdered. And then suddenly the film just goes 180. And you have this like really funny calligraphy scene. I love it says I love daddy in Chinese. It's just so funny the the final calligraphy. Uh, it, it's just like it's just it's such it's such a change uh, from from the uh, from the first kind of act of that film. And then the final fight scene, just like when he has to get revenge because his sifu was murdered. And even though the, the enemy Frankie Chan's character, he is also. A prodigal son. He is also a Baigatsai, but of a different type. You know, like he actually had martial arts skill, but his protectors were making sure he didn't run into anyone who would be better than him in the way that, um, you know, um, Yi Dong Choi, his, his assistant, you know, played by Chan Long, was worried about the same thing, but clearly just paying people to lose, knowing full well that he had no fighting skill. But they were actually both prodigal sons. The difference is that Yun Biu's Leung Chan had a character arc, and by the end, he had changed. His, he, he realized that, you know, through hard work, he had become a very different person. He could have, you know, hit his head when he found out he didn't know any martial arts, but he went the other way and really wanted to learn it and showed, you know, his plucking constantly badgering Leung Yitai uh, to teach him until he finally did. So he has a beautiful character arc there at the end. And, uh, you know, has the chance to kill, you know, uh, uh, Frankie Chan's character at the end, but then stops and then, you know, flips him off and, and you know, <laughs> sends him to the West, you know? <laughs> what, a, what an awesome ending. And A Prodigal Son for me is not just one of my favorite Wing Chun movies, because the choreography is very authentic and everything else, but it's hands down one of my favorite Kung Fu movies. It's very difficult for me to find others that are equal with story, pacing, and action. So, I mean, uh, that, you know, my, pr- perhaps the smallest negative, which is just because I'm a Wing Chun snob, is that um, Yun Biu was, his fight choreography wasn't as authentic to Wing Chun in the final fight scene as it was a little bit earlier in the film and some of the other fight scenes where I thought Lam Ching-Ying made Wing Chun look very operatic and the way that he moved is just that fight scene there with Frankie Chan where he tested him on the bridge there is I get goosebumps when I watch that still. And so that is hands down one of my favorite bits. I felt that the final fight scene could have been a little bit tighter in terms of the Wing Chun choreography, but it's so amazingly good that I give it a pass. I'm like, it doesn't matter to me. It's just a well-constructed final fight scene. Blows Yun's final fight scene out of the way for sure. Totally agree with you, Preston, on that one. And so, um, as I like to say, that's all I got to say about that. All right. right. I just just want to make two two quick notes. Number one, uh, Alex, those earbuds never work. (laughs) Headphones or just do it through the computer because, you know, you have doing that and it looks looks like something. Actually, I just reminded me that I saw the movie at the Sun Sing Cinema under the Manhattan Bridge in Manhattan. So I saw it first on a on a really big screen, and and also you reminded me something else I wanted to point out. My favorite kind of action sequences when everyone fights in character. 
of course Lam Ching Ying was going to make it Peking Opera style because he's a Peking Opera performer. So it was just more gloriousness. Now let's move on to Asian right. enthusiasts. Eric, <laughs> go for it. Yes. Yeah, first time I saw this movie, it was on DVD, probably about 15 years ago or so. And first time I saw it, you know, I was I was kind of getting into this type of thing, these types of movies a little bit more. And I don't think I appreciated like the opening, especially the opening half an hour. You know, I was kind of waiting for the first big fight to hit. Whereas this time, you know, I went into it and I did appreciate like even the just the concept just from uh, somebody who doesn't even know anything about this stuff would be interesting because the whole concept of Yunbu's character who who is fighting these dudes who are just tanking intentionally when they fight him and he has no idea and he thinks he's so much better than he actually is. It's just interesting from a story perspective. And I did actually enjoy some of the humor early on. Like you get those two guys right at the beginning. They're like, they're almost like they're, you can tell they're intentionally selling it, almost acting bad in terms of what they're doing. They're like, Hey, I want to find a really good fighter. I, I think we should fight this guy. This guy I heard is really good, you know. And then they then they lose to him. And the other the guy I really liked in the beginning was the older gentleman who broke the brick because yeah. he was the smart one. He's like, Wuma, I'm going to make Wuma. myself seem yeah, great so yeah. that so that I get paid to not fight him. And that I thought that was actually really really cool little uh, subplot there. And uh, yeah, when Lam Xing Ying shows up because. At the beginning of the movie, I'm like, you know, you're like, oh yeah, you know, Yun Biao or Yun Biao can't can't really fight that well, but he looks pretty good here, you know, in the opening. And then when you get the the Lam Ching Ying fight in the middle, and you're like, whoa, I I guess he he's not that good. And I kind of like how they did that because that that middle fight's the first one where where it really elevates in terms of action quality and fighting quality. And then um, another thing that I found really interesting is that. During the ninja-style assassination scene, I was sure the first time I saw this, I'm like, oh, Lam Ching Ying, he's dead. He, he's dead in this scene. He's done. But he survived, which I found surprising from a plot perspective, just from, you know, watching all these movies. You know, a lot of times the master will die a little bit early on, and then the, the, the apprentice will train to avenge him. But that doesn't happen here. You know, Lam, Lam gets killed near the end of the film, which I found kind of an interesting change-up. And then, uh, yeah, and then Samo shows up almost by the around the one hour mark, really. I mean, you don't see, I, I, I think the first time I saw this, I didn't even know that he was actually acting in the film, and it kind of surprised me. But then when he comes in, it takes on that extra dynamic. I like the dueling master type of philosophy thing going on. So there's really, that's the good thing about doing these, these versus episodes, because you go back and you look at it from a little bit of a different, more mature perspective. And you appreciate a lot of a lot of this stuff more. So I I really enjoy this one a lot more even uh, on my second viewing here. So it's good stuff. Nice. Another another quick point. The more also the more you know. I've been saying for a long time now that the limitations of great martial art and kung fu movies around the world is the limited knowledge of the filmmakers, and and also now the limited knowledge of the viewer. Is those characters in the opening were clear Cantonese comedy characters that Samuel was including to lull the audience. Because this, again, this movie is so much more mature than virtually all of his other movies. So he put in in the first half hour 
stuff that his audience would recognize. And then he starts making it better and surprising and adding layers. Just incredible. Frank. Kyle, where do I begin? I mean, first, I got to say, you know, the screenplay by Samuel and Barry Wong is just fantastic. I mean, all the, almost every single character is so multi-layered, right? And they're all memorable. They all have the flaws. They all have the virtues. And the dialogue is good. It's funny. I mean, like, I remember, I remember translating this originally for Tai Seng. And then remember, and the, you know, the, the uh, Wei Bai's character was cheating on, on this guy's wife. So they, you know, they went to the opera, uh, opera, opera house to like, you know, try to beat him up. And then, and then the, the, one of the henchmen asked, well, how do we know who's the guy? And then he said, well, he plays God of Quan. So you see somebody who's God of Quan kick his ass, you know? I mean, like, like this that kind of humor. I, I really enjoy it. But then the fights, I mean, like you have, I mean, no less than 10 fights in the first 40 minutes alone, big and small, right? And then you get to the major fighting in the middle, you know, with, with Yun Biu and Nam Ching Ying fighting, and then later on with that amazing assassination sequence, which Stephen Chow actually referenced it in uh, Forbidden City Cop when, when they were trying to dissect the alien. It's the same, you know, that was his homage to that scene. And, you know, and like 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 Andy mentioned about the, um, the flag, the burning flag, I mean, those are all peaking in the standard peaking opera routine, but he just added this element of, of danger of the fire. I mean, that's just astonishing to, to watch. And also, just so you know, even though, yes, this is, you know, all the like the singing, the costume, and all that, those are peaking opera. In the film, they were actually singing Cantonese opera style, just so you know. Because, you know, obviously, this is Hong Kong film, Hong Kong production at that time, <laughs> you know, they really have to keep it in the Cantonese language. But then with Peking Opera, obviously, obviously you can because they were singing Pekingese. So although they were doing Peking Opera stuff, the singing itself, all the singing, the arias, they all Cantonese opera arias, just so you know. But still, and then you have you know Frankie Chan, who who like like and he said he's he's the other prodigal son. He's he he they're yin and yang, you know. He him and Yun Biu were yin and yang, and. And what I, what I love about the final fight sequence, I mean, I'll be the choreography. We don't even have to talk about the choreography. I mean, they're, they're amazing. You know, I, I personally learned Wing Chun for two years. And I remember asking my Wing Chun Sifu, this is back in high school, and I asked my Wing Chun Sifu, so when 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 I get to learn this, right? You know, we're still doing all this stuff, right? All this, you know, Siu Lim Tao stuff, right? And this is called simple idea, little idea. So anyway, but I asked the Sifu, like, when can I start doing all these blocking, you know, blocking hands. He said, oh, in, in about your fifth year, you know. <laughs> so, but to be able to see, like, these moves um, perform so authentically, it's just, it's, you know, just pure joy to watch. Uh, they're all doing great. These are all going Wing Chun moves. And, and I agree with Andy. The final fight is not 100% Wing Chun, but still exciting to watch. And the ending, I, I love how it was resolved, you know, uh, to have him... Uh, uh, being you know legitimized by Frankie Chan, saying that you you know you're good you know so he he got his you know he got his vindication you know he, he yeah that's that's all he needs you know he didn't need to kill him even though he has he did, did kill his master but not him you know Frankie Chan's you know, this good or vulnerable side to him so he's not like a complete villain you know as as mostly the people surrounding him that's trying to carry out these evil deeds but then you know he that's all he needs a vindication that you know I'm I'm good now you know I'm I'm a real Wing Chun fighter. Frankie yeah. was victim too, remember, and Frankie's the one who actually killed the guys who killed Lan Ching Yin. Right. He was not he didn't order it. They did it against his wishes, and he killed them both. Right. And then and then 
And then, and then, like I said, like like that first forty minutes, the forty first minutes, you have ten fights, and Samuel didn't even show up yet. <laughs> and then Samuel show up, and, and and then again, like like Rick said, you know, the female character, his his daughter in the film, was actually treated with respect and 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 you know decency, even though she looked like the female version of Eric Zhang. <laughs> but um, but you know, to to have you know, to have scenes of him teaching the daughter kung fu, that was that was pretty good, you know, and um. I've, I've mentioned before, Eastern Condors will always be my favorite Sam Hong movie. Right? <laughs> and the only reason this is not is just because, there were, to me, one, there wasn't enough Sam Two, I think he played too much for the laugh, the comedic effect, like, like Andy mentioned. You know, you know uh, it, it was a little bit too exaggerated. And third, he never fought anybody. You know, he did all the training. He, he trained Yun Bill. He had yeah, a little spar with Lam Ning. But, you know, I would love to see Sam fighting someone in this film. You know that that didn't happen. Still, that did not in any way diminish my love for the film. I think it's a fantastic film. To me, it's almost like a like if Sam Hong was with Shaw Brothers, this would be his Shaw Brothers film. There's this Shaw Brothers feel to it that always remind somehow reminded me of like Dirty Hole. You know, maybe it's the Qing Dynasty setting. Uh, all that. But yeah, you know, like some of the some of the sets even look like the Shaw Brothers set. But yeah, I mean, this is like this is fantastic stuff from beginning to end. Yeah, the, uh, you notice, you know, there's no Samo on the cover. This is not a Samo movie. It's a Samo written director. Also, I just want to say I like the ending because it led to it led to one of the most important things that Bruce Lee said, which is learn everything you can from everyone you can, then make it your own. He wasn't yes. going to fight like Lam Chun Yin. He wasn't going to fight like anybody else. He was going. He finally developed Yun Fu. He did his form. So I, I like that. I thought that was satisfactory. Yeah, and I, again, I, like I said, I love how he gives you, you know, he, how he tried to introduce more of these picking up elements in the film, the makeup, you know, like like you know, like talking about uh, guys playing female characters because you know women are forbidden. I mean, like as a Hong Kong audience, they all knew this, right? I mean, like you know, for us growing up, knowing this stuff, I, I used to go to see live speaking opera in Hong Kong with my dad. So, so to me, this is like second, you know, like second nature. This is all knowledge, you know. I already knew this, but to see this, you know, play out that way for general audiences is again very nice. You know, good to see. So nice, nice. Before we move to Bobby, I got one question for you, Frank. All right, now I assumed this meant go fuck yourself, <laughs> but the thumb in the middle of the fist. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I assumed. I'm glad you mentioned that. I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, that that time that was the Hong Kong way of giving someone the finger. This is basically the penis between the vagina, right? Like, like, just like yeah. So, but, you know, at that time, no one knew how to give the actual finger. That that's okay. how that to be to them. This is how they give the finger. So okay. Then until, okay. Uh, uh, folks started seeing more of this in American shows and movies that they realized, oh, this is how you know, this is how you get the finger, or oh, like this, you know? yeah, <laughs> or this. <laughs> or, yeah. But that's the way. But now everybody, in other words, the younger generation now they wouldn't even know what this means. Because right, this was right, like right. Yeah. our our like when we were growing up, this is how we get people to finger. Right. Yeah, because me and my buddy, after we watched the movie, me and my buddy, we do this to each other all the time. Or the the Lam Ching Yi t- a T-shirt flip that he was doing. And, <laughs> shirt flip, shirt flip. Yeah, I, I want to say in Love on Delivery, the best dolly shot scene is 
Uncle Tot and Stephen Chow giving that scene like fucking mm-hmm. they're just doing this <laughs> doing that repeatedly. It's the best scene ever. Oh, it's also, funny. I, you reminded me, Frank. Marshall Club, La Cal Young's movie, came out in 1981 as well, along mm-hmm. with Prodigal Son. And I'm also fairly certain that Samuel was inspired by what Jackie was doing during this period as well, because they were always in competition. And, and this yeah. is why I think Samuel gave up afterwards, because he, re- he couldn't beat him. He just couldn't beat Jackie. And don't forget, this film did win the Best Action Choreography at the first yes. Hong Kong Film Awards. Well, the first well, one. Yeah, nice. <laughs> Beautiful. Bobby. All right. Bobby. Bobby. Hey. All right. <laughs> well, positives um, and, and negatives on the movie. Positive and negatives. Uh, very little negatives. Pretty much all positive. I mean, this this film, it, it had a, an indelible impression upon me. I mean, it, for its purity, its traditional Peking opera aspect, um, how they illustrated it. it, it as Rick stated, it was probably one of Samuel's most purest films to date. Um, Peking Opera Blues, uh, uh, man, one of my favorites uh, from back in the day. Again, I got I evo- that it evoked that type of emotion. I guess I, I, I kind of viewing it when I was younger, uh, when it first came out. Actually, I was in high school, um, and viewing it later in life, it kind of I kind of got a different feel because you know I guess I've been blessed because. I've actually worked with those actors, you know, I did uh, uh, Gambling Ghosts with Lam Ching Ying. And uh, we would always talk about this movie on set. And uh, he took me to lunch a couple of times. So I guess, you know, I, I, I view the film differently now as I watch it. As I, and I see a lot of other um, actors and the action motifs. Chong uh, Fa, uh, he's another one. He was in Gambling Ghosts with me, um, a, a, an outstanding martial artist. Um, James Tien, Bruce Lee's friend. Um, he was in Gambling Ghosts with me, as well as he was in uh, that film. So I, I kind of view it differently now because the anecdotes that I have are personal from actually working with them on on, on several films. So, but I did remember asking uh, Sam. I was like, because when I first saw Lam Cheng Ying on, on on the set of Gambling Ghosts, I'm like, oh my god, that's him, that's the guy, you know, uh, Prodigal Son. And Sam was like, let me tell you something. He said he's he's the best Hong Kong stuntman ever like he is that good he was that famous and i'm like wow he said oh yeah bruce lee bruce lee adored him um and he said his wing chun is extremely good in fact he told me he said for uh golai hong uh, mina in um when he was okay. training for eastern condor course he told me that uh he only wanted mina to train with uh, lam jing ying the entire time so lam jing ying actually trained uh golai hong for eastern condors um, and I felt that that was a very interesting antidote. Uh, Yin Biao, I mean, I saw him every day for years because he was under contract with Bojan like me. Um, again, the quintessential performance from him. Uh, I remember when I first met him in the office and, and, and I was like, man, I said, I talked to him. I said, prodigal son, that was one of my favorites. He says, ah, you like, I said, yeah, I love the film. <laughs> he said, you're strong, Bobby. You're strong. I said, I'm not as strong as you. He was like, and he put his hand on my stomach. He said, one punch. And you know me, I'm always I'm trying to prove myself. I say, like, hey, give me one punch, one punch. And then Yun Biao, I mean, he just just was like this and balled his fist and went pow. Now I acted like nothing was wrong, but I will tell you that I was ready to throw up. It was incredible. You know, I mean, you could you felt the energy come from him from that punch. 
Um, just listening to the stories about how they actually learned in the Peking Opera in relation to the film, it, like it was true to form, you know. So it was really not a, a big stretch for them because that's their roots. Um, but I felt like Prodigal Son was probably, for me, I, I can't say it's not my all-time favorite, but it is up there in my top five. My all-time favorite, I would have to kind of agree with um, Frank. It's Eastern Condors. Um, I just, I, I love that film for for some reason. I'm a I'm a big uh, military movie fan, and I just I just felt like that movie and just to see uh, Yuen Ping in there and, and just so a cast of just any anybody who's who in there, Dick Way, you name it. And I just felt like Samuel, he lost all that weight for that film. He got very sick too, uh, losing all that weight, he told me. Um, and that's actually uh, where he, he had some injuries as well. The big injury he got was on uh, Shanghai 13. That was his, um, uh, um, uh, was that millionaire? Yeah, yes, where he rolled down the... Uh, mountain with the snow he's he, he messed mm. his shoulder up pretty bad and how i know wow. that we were starting one time on uh a mommy bay and i i hit him and i twisted his arm he's like and then that's when he, he he shared with that with me that story but again like i say prodigal son versus i'm kind of leaning well, i understand the contemporary wing chun aspect of of it man and the commercialization and the franchise i mean it's like to me it's like the fast five of kung fu movies you just keep them coming, you know. Fast <laughs> yeah. I'm not the only one. I think that <laughs> really what it is, you know. Finally, yeah. they they got a franchise like that that's as popular. Um, I just feel like for, for traditional sake and purity, from my era when I grew up and when I appreciated martial arts film, Sun Sing Theater, Forty uh, Second Street, New York, um, I would have to go hands down with Prodigal Son. And Rick, I do miss our commentary days. And I do hope that one day we can get back on it. I remember me, you, and Frank. You know, wow, it was amazing. So this kind of, I like this, 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 this camaraderie we got here discussing these two films. Well, and again, let, let I examine it from a different point of view because I actually know these guys. Let me embarrass Frank in public um, <laughs> by saying the real dream team for an audio commentary, especially on something like Prodigal Son, especially from the person who lived with Sam O'Hone and was. And was Sam O'Hung was your mentor? The dream team would not yes. be me and you or me and Frank. It would be you and Frank. Oh, God so bless! Thank you so mind, much, Frank. Keep that in mind, yeah. Frank. I'm going to be promoting that. And if you want to get in touch with Sam O, in case you would ever want to use Sam O for audio commentary, right. it would be through Bobby. Be yep. through me. There you go. Yeah. Let's keep well, that. Well, in know, mind. I, I won't, I'm saying it in public now to embarrass you. <laughs> I, you know, my my lips are sealed, but uh, we'll, we'll make talk. it happen. We'll make talk. it happen, it, Frank. Got it in your mind. <laughs> planted. And I just want to say again, I don't know. One more thing, Lam Ting. I, I like I mentioned before. I don't care what people say. You know, people love know him from Mr. Vampire. This is this was his greatest role, definitely, without it's a doubt. But hands down, the the hands the, down. the purity, the the preciseness of the technique that he was using. It, even Frankie Chan's style against it. I mean, it was just amazing. I've never seen it done like Lam Ching Yin. I mean, a lot of people do it. Even Donnie has his own, uh, how can I say it, his own signature moves with Wing Chun. But again, it's contemporary. It's for this generation. And okay, for, for, for this generation, I'll accept it, man, one. Let's, let's, let me say that again. It, yeah. man, one. That's, yeah. where, that's where the pure aspect of, of the franchise was. 
when you yeah. when, when you kept going moving up moving up moving up i just felt as though it got a little gimmicky in certain areas um it's in and the the denigration of lomang who is one of my been utilized a little bit more in all of the films it just seemed it seemed to me that in in it man one two and three it got progressively worse for him you know all the way to the point where in episode four he uh he stepped in the ring got punched in the mouth and it was over it, it, it almost took a comedic turn for him and i just felt like that didn't work you know so i brought him over to america and he did made in chinatown well, <laughs> there you go we're going to be getting to monsoon but also uh let me say Viewers, listeners, watchers, if you want to see the art of kung fu acting, in other words, Donnie does kung fu choreography, but you want to see how an actor will elevate a kung fu movie through how they fight, how they act while they fight, you look at Lam Ching Ying in this, or you look at Anthony Wong in It Man Final Fight. You can you and, and and Anthony Wong knows virtually no kung fu really. Yeah, but he's and amazing. I, and I got one better. Lao Leon no kung fu, just knows how yeah. to imitate. It's incredible. But, I couldn't believe it. Great acting too, just amazing acting. Yeah, yeah. we're moving on to the, vic- in the victim. What? Hmm? In the victim. Yeah. Yes. In oh, the yeah. victim. He didn't know any Kung Fu. It was all choreographed. Yeah, so, it's I mean, it's insane. Yeah, he's good. But yeah, a.k.a. Beardy. <laughs> His little nickname, Beardy. <laughs> Gotta love Beardy. He's on a shirt, too. Oh, yeah, Warrior yeah. too. That's right. That's right. He was in that. So, well so said, Bobby. Are we doing well now? Or? <laughs> no, not yet. We got to go. We'll, 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 we'll go through it, man, and then we'll vote at the end. But yeah, this is great. This is great, insightful gotcha. stuff we're getting here today. But yeah, it's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. The end finale fight is is great. It is just, it's it's just. This is what martial arts movies are all about. It's phenomenal. No, and this you, is you, what kung fu movies are all about. <laughs> Not martial arts. Martial arts. Kung fu. Kung fu. Kung fu. Listen to the Santa. <laughs> but yeah, but, it's, know, it's, one, it's the, phenomenal. It's, any, did one, anybody feel sorry for James Tian's character? <laughs> yeah. Are we no, going to get another? No. Are we, we going to get another no. movie? We're going to get backstory. We're going to get a short on James Tian's character. Poor guy. I, I, you broke my arm. I trained five years with this arm. Gets this arm broke. All right, now go train your legs for the next five years and then come see me. I was like, God damn it. <laughs> but it was a great scene, though. It was a great scene. But it was hilarious at the same time. Uh, but, yeah, let's go ahead and get to it, man. Oh, he's got is a DVD, Blu-ray. What do you got there, Rick? It's a DVD. All right. The Hong Kong version with the first two films. Right. There you go. Nice, nice. All right, Alex, plot synopsis for people who do not know what the film is about. It Man 2008. Well, Yip Man 2008, sometimes called IP Man by people who don't know, uh, is a uh, fictional story about someone who actually existed. And it basically tells the story of Yip Man before he came to Hong Kong, which was in 1949. So it basically tells a tale of his struggles in China and Fatan and kind of Second World War 
uh, China and uh, kind of builds his legend a little bit. And, you know, at first he's just a very skilled local Kung Fu master who doesn't teach, but he's better than those who are actually teaching in Fatsan. So he develops a bit of a reputation. He has closed door fights with some of these other masters, which he very respectfully keeps the results silent because they always lose to him until <laughs> one, you know, young person hops over the fence and sees one of these fights. And sees that Yip Man basically bests uh, the Sifu of his brother and then lets the word out. And then Yip Man's reputation slowly starts to grow, but he doesn't want to take any students. And eventually the film takes a, a, a very different turn after he has a, a an epic challenge fight with uh, uh, Louis Fan, Fan Tzu Wong, uh, who plays a northerner, yeah. uh, speaking fantastic Mandarin in that film, doing a good job. Not his, the voice, classic... Not his voice. <laughs> yeah, that, which is what I figured because he's 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 from Hong Kong, and normally you can always tell when a Hong Kong person speaks Mandarin. My wife is from Hong Kong, and you can always tell when she speaks Mandarin. She speaks it with a Hong Kong flavor, and uh, so usually when the Mandarin is really tight, there's usually another voice actor involved. <laughs> so their fight scene was really amazing, and you know, basically at the end, uh, Yip Man has this fantastic line. He says in Cantonese, basically. It's not about northern and southern fist. The problem is yours. And and it was very philosophical in that moment. And then right after that, the evil Japanese come and uh, take over. And uh, the story kind of changes a little bit. And he has his struggles with the Japanese. And the story makes it seem like he left uh, China because of the Japanese. But he actually left because of the communists, because he was a member of the Kuomintang Party. But we're not going to talk about that. Uh, it was the Japanese all along. And so uh, he, you know, at the end of the movie, he's on his way to Hong Kong to start essentially the only period of his life that we know anything about. Very little is known about Yip Man pre-1949. It's mostly just drips and drabs from what we've heard. Most of what we know about Yip Man is about his time after he came to Hong Kong in 1949. So uh, the story is mostly fiction but uh, in my opinion it's the best of all the yip men movies uh, yes. uh as as um bobby said before i think every film when although this is not about those other films but it, it is by far a superior film a lot of people gush over the second one i thought the second one was terrible i thought the first you mean uh rocky four yeah <laughs> rocky four <laughs> <laughs> I broke so up a third, little bit. Uh-oh, uh-oh. There you go. Uh, what about go now? Ahead. Is it better? Okay. Yeah, you're good. I, I saw the second one once. I got through it once. I saw the third one with Rick once. And I saw the fourth one once. And it felt like one too many for those films. But the first one, I can watch again and again. Uh, it's really enjoyable. The Wing Chun is very authentic. I wish Donnie Yen would speak with the Fatsan accent and, and try to make himself look a little bit older. But... Alas, he is Donnie Yen in a Chaung Sam playing Yip Man, and that's kind of what you get. So um, that's basically the story. Um, All right. Yeah. All right. So pass it to me here. So 2008, two big movies came out that year, Iron Man and The Dark Knight. That's right. Two big films came out there. If I was able to, you know, if I had the opportunity to watch <coughs> It Man that year, we didn't. I didn't get a chance to watch it till later because obviously, like I said earlier, it's not like we can go turn it to Channel Fox and and watch the newest Donnie Yen movie. Okay, uh, that It Man would have been definitely would have been one of my favorite movies of 2008, hands down. 
if I've seen it when it came out. Uh, a, a year later, a buddy of mine, he's like, hey, man, have you seen the IP man? That's what he said. So you're right. Intellectual property man. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? The IP man? What are you talking about? He's like, that's Donnie Yen, Martial Arts. Well, I love Donnie Yen. So what? What is this? He's like, man, it's it's awesome, bro. I got I cop the bootleg, son. I got me the bootleg. Here you go. I was like, no, no, I don't need the bootleg. Let me go ahead and try to find it. So I'll take your word for it. I trust the guy. I was like, all right. So I got I got a chance to order the DVD off a website. Watched it. Loved it. Oh man, it scratched the fucking action itch. I loved it, and I loved the soundtrack. I loved the suspense building, and and it's just. You know, the 10 karate fight, 10 karate fighters fight against Donnie Yen was so badass (laughs) and so amazing and brutal. And the story-wise, the plot leading up to that, you were all in. You're like, oh, man, let's see what's going to happen. It's not like you weren't not interested in what's going on. And the fighting was so good and so brutal and fast and the music. I loved everything about it that after that 10, you know, versus 10 karate fighters fight, None of the other Ip Man sequels top that, in my opinion. None of them. Correct. And all the other Ip Man fight sequences in those movies are good. They're, they're not bad. There's some good shit in those sequels. But it, in terms of, yeah, in terms of, yeah, like, like you're in, you, you know, you're interested in the story, what's going on. You're interested in the characters, what's going on. The music was perfect. The fight choreography, excuse me, fight choreography was great, brutal, badass. You remember it, and it's like you just show people that fight. you, you got to watch this movie. Here, just sit down. I, don't, I know you're trying to leave. Just sit down and watch this. you know. And then they're like, oh, my God, i got to watch that later, right? None of the other Ip Man sequels made a fight sequences that t- made a fight sequence that topped that 10 karate fighter fight. It's phenomenal. It's brutal. But I enjoyed the film. I liked the characters. You know, I, I enjoyed the ending. I enjoyed everything about it. Like, this is a, like I said, if I make a top 10 Donnie Yen list, this would go on there. Movies list. This would definitely go on there. Uh, but I'm going to be honest. The end fight, even though it was authentic, according to Alex, which is which is fine that it's authentic, it was kind of a letdown. What did the other guy get? Three hits. I think he literally only got three hits on Donnie Ant. And it's just like, come on, man. Like, let's make, let's give, 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 give our hero a little bit of a, a, you know, of an issue here. You know, let him struggle a little bit. Uh, and it was kind of short. It was kind of over. But other than that, that's a nitpick, though. That's a nitpick. Other than that, it's still entertaining to watch, and I really enjoy it a lot. Uh, top ten for me. All right. The Kung Fu Rascal IP Man. <laughs> so, for, first, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw the backstory like to either Rick or, or Rick or Frank or Bobby. Bobby, about how this whole film came together. So I'm not going to explain how, like, it originally was Wong Kar Wai's property, and then it became, like, Mandarin Films property. I, I, I'm i going to let one of you three to explain that history, because that history was just like, oh, yeah, ten years later, finally it comes into Donnie Yen and Wilson Yip's hands. It was like, yeah, we're going to make this film. So I'll let, let one of you guys decide who's going to talk about that. He didn't make, did make that Yip Man film, though. Yeah, he did, like, in 2012. We finally got to make it, but he held that. introduced it. Let me quickly say that this film, the Donnie Yen film and Wilson Yip film, was made because they heard that Wong Kar Wai was doing a Yip Man film. So mm-hmm. just like, you know, Enter the Ninja, they were going to do the big ninja movie. 
by the guys who produced Jaws, and then in came Cannon, and they did their quick little knockoff. Mm-hmm. First move advantage. Knockoff. Yeah, they were taking advantage of it. It's not like it's not like anybody owned Yip Man. Anybody. I, re- I remember it was like the, the the title itself, Grandmaster Yipmon. It was like supposed to be Grandmaster Yipmon for this film, and then they couldn't they couldn't use that that title because Wong Kar Wai had that one. But aside from that, I remember seeing the trailer for this because I was on a Donnie Yen kick back in 2007 after Flashpoint came out, and then even SPL and being a fan of all that, and then finally saw the trailer for this, and I, my first thought was like. Was Donian pulling a Jet Lee with Fearless and making this almost his like last period kind of piece here? That was my original thought at the time. And when I finally watched Yitman one, I was like, this is pretty good. Like it was different to see Donian trying to act as a martial scholar, but at the same time, I it it's really interesting to see like how they tried to put a historical aspect and everything else. And, oh man, like if I could go back to literally being my 2008 self and talk about exactly how I fanboyed out when I first saw it, it's because all I feel now is just like, now that I watch it, I'm like, it's, I just see all the sequels coming out. Literally the Wilson Yip, Donnie Yen, Yipmon universe, like taking over and then the side stuff with Den- uh so all the sequels kind of tainted it for you that they, they and tainted the Herman, it a little bit the herman yao films the the tv series that came and then and then the other ones that just like mar flooded the market of being a whole franchise of just this whole cinematic universe of you're just like you can't escape it even when donnie tried to leave it after yipmon 2 it i just thought like where was like this purity of like who can we just have this one film because i remember just watching this film and hopefully there was nothing to capitalize on it after that then two years later i went to hong kong and saw it in theaters <laughs> that's all you in theaters and i'm like okay rocky four <laughs> great <laughs> because it's basically that but no um when i first watched it i i just remembered like seeing like how he becomes or not becomes how he presents himself as this um, almost high class because he was uh, a rich man at the time before then, and then if I rem- if I- that was historically correct, and then everyone coming to like actually challenge him to say, yeah, we we just opened a club, and then he just says, yeah, you, you opened a club, it's okay, go ahead, and but they just want want this friendly sparring match, and I thought that was very well well done in the story story sense of them doing the the friendly matches and then going off into um Fenso Wong's character coming in and just causing a ruckus all over for the for the other masters and then Yitmon had to had to uh protect the reputation of Hassan just so that way it's like yeah please, please do it and Gordon Lamb Gordon Lamb I there are times that I wish he is like not a slimy character like in <laughs> in paradox most of the time or even well he doesn't play slimy in uh infernal affair so i can't fault him on that but he's a really good like actor that r- really shined in this film of being like 
so conflicted of working for the be, being Chinese, but working for the Japanese and just having that guilt where he sees his his fellow countrymen dying and then he has no other choice but to watch. And then even slightly having a redemption arc where not, we're excluding the deleted scene where where the where everyone rose up and beat beat him to death at the end. But just even like helping trying to fight back against the sadistic colonel that always shot first, which I was like, you know what, that kind of makes sense because for a guy to just be a soldier and doesn't understand martial arts and the purity of it, just shooting everybody, I was like, yeah, that's a prime example of just someone just taking a gun and shooting someone, especially when it came to executing Master Liu uh, before the 10-on-1 fight. And just the fact that I remember the dramatic dramatic scene after um, Diane does the fights, the ten on one fight that he goes to his wife, and she just notices his knuckles, even though it's like not the right knuckle that he's doing. No, see <laughs> <laughs> Alex knows it's not the right knuckles that it should be. It shouldn't be these. It should be the bottom ones in Wing Chun, but. I just remembered like that one dramatic scene that they talk about where be him he always practiced and he just said like this world is so small but I'm really useless and I just felt like okay that that kind of sense of someone practicing and everything else as much as they don't feel useless it's just that it's just that kind of lost kind of feel for characterization of actually emulating that and I was like okay that makes sense but then when his friend Simon Yam's character finally or get gets attacked by Fancy Wong, Wong's um, gang to take over their mill, and then finally he has a purpose. I was like, okay, finally you have a purpose. But on that, the I think the negatives is <laughs> Tony Yen is just too unstoppable in this film, and he learns nothing. That's the only thing. He, He's just unstoppable until he gets shot shot in the at the end fight, but that's it. He's just Okay. It's really it. Copy that. All right. Kung Fu Santa. Well then. Um Donnie was going through a period here. Donnie was becoming the king of Kung Fu cinema. He stayed in Hong Kong, he didn't go to America. China had taken over uh, Hong Kong, but was keeping hands mostly off. It's interesting if you notice when the sequels came out, because as the sequels came out, China was, you know, here's here's Hong Kong, here's China. And over the years when the sequels were coming out, China was doing this. And so by the end, the subject matter of the films would change, but all of Donnie's um, situation. Donnie wanted to be respected, and he he took this is I believe this is the only film in which he was nominated for Best Actor at the Hong Kong Film Awards. Yeah, because he was playing something other than his version of Bruce Lee. He just loves Bruce Lee. He wants to be Bruce Lee, and also his interesting relationship with his co-stars. I, I don't think it was an Ip Man movie where he cast Vincent Zhao. It might have been. Kung Fu Jungle, maybe? No, Special ID. Special oh, ID. was it that? But then yeah. Vincent Zhao 
found out when he got to the set that his major co-starring role had been reduced to a supporting cameo for all intents and purposes. And so it, uh, Donnie took over the choreography of his movies to such a degree that even in, in Kung Fu Jungle, um, he's unbeatable. He's always unbeatable. He, he changed uh, the comic book one, Dragon Tiger Gate. So basically he was playing the Robin role, but he made Robin in that movie Batman and also oh, wow. unbeatable. And in Kung Fu Jungle, he supposedly there's this Kung Fu assassin who's taking on the greatest fighters in Kung Fu, and he takes care of all of them. And at the end, gives Donnie no problems. Donnie just takes him down. So I'm watching this movie, and I'm quite impressed with this movie because he's playing an actual character. He's not playing his version of Bruce Lee. You'll notice in the sequels that he stops becoming Ip Man or Ip Man, and becomes Ip Zombie. Ip Pod Person. I mean, I, I don't mean to be insulting, I really don't, but in Ip Man 4, did, did Ip Man have a stroke? I mean, he shows nothing on his face. He is just completely blank. So in this first movie, I got excited. It's beautifully made. The opening half hour, compare, if you want to just compare half hours, then I would be voting for Itman like crazy for the opening half hour versus the opening half hour of Prodigal Son. The opening half hour, to me, is the movie. Once he says that line, as you pointed out, Alex, it's you. It's not the style. It's not North versus South. It's you. I said, that's all I've ever wanted a Kung Fu movie to tell an audience. You know, what's what's the best style of Kung Fu? They're all the same. Human body, human mind, the world around it. Rest is money and ego. And here he's saying it's not the style. It's you. But then it's preceded by an awesomely designed and conceived fight. That was frustrating to me. It's still one of my best fights in Kung Fu cinema. It was a bit marred by the original subtitling that Welgo did where... Again, you can distinct limited knowledge. The dubbers, the subtitlers had limited knowledge of Kung Fu. So the kid is supposed to come in and say, mom says, if you don't start fighting, the house will be ruined. But he doesn't say that in the subtitles. He says something, mom says, if you start fighting the heart, the, the, uh, if the house will be ruined. He's supposed to say, if you don't start fighting. As far as the, the subtitles were concerned, they were watching Donnie and saying, well, he's fighting. He's fighting. Not if you know Kung Fu. He wasn't fighting. He was defending. He was doing defense. He wasn't doing offense yet. So they misunderstood the best joke in the movie. And <clears throat> the fight itself, and again, Louis Fong, who I've met, and George Lamb, who I've met and interviewed, they, they, they do a wonderful job supporting him, and Donnie tries to live up to it. But that first fight, I went, oh, this is going to be the greatest movie ever made. And then it turns into a Bruce Lee film. It turns into whichever you want, Fist of Fury. It turns into where it becomes a anti-Japanese movie. And he stops being it mom and starts doing Bruce Lee by way of Donnie. You know, I mean, that, that 
fighting the ten guys again. That's right out of Fist of Fury. Fist of Fury. Fist of Fury. Yeah. I mean, he's just doing his version. This is a. By the way, this is a wonderful little thing. Lingerie. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly right, Brent. Give me some. Give me some lobster. Uh, I got my city wing chun dip. Thank you, thank you. I appreciate it. Oh, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. I'm getting a t-shirt next time I see it. A sweatshirt. I'm getting all the city wing chun clothing. The whole line. Awesome. And I'm getting I'm got and I gotta get my Kung Fu Genius bobblehead. You have one yet? Not yet, but soon. Come on, we gotta get you one. But yeah, matter of fact, take over. That's all I have to say. That first fight is still one of the greatest fights of all time, and then it turns into a completely different movie that I've already seen, and I've already seen done better. Gotcha. All right, Alex. Yeah, I have to agree with Rick on that. I rewatched Yip Man again for this. And as soon as that fight scene was over with Lewis Fan, I was like, I don't really feel like watching the rest of this movie because it it has a tonal shift and it just feels like he becomes, it's not Iron Man, it's IP Man. He's just some superhero with no uh, real character traits anymore. And he was like a, like he was a real character in that first part of the movie. He had struggles where he was a Kung Fu enthusiast and he always wanted to entertain the people who came to his, uh, to came, came to challenge him, but that would kind of piss off his wife and then he had the conflicts with not paying enough attention to his son as a kung fu instructor i totally understand this and there was some depth and layer and and realness to that and then the rest of it he's just an indestructible kung fu fighting machine as he is for the remaining sequels that come after that he has no character arc um and that's it has a certain cachet in a bruce lee movie he's always the same ass kicker at the beginning of the film that he is at the end um but after a while especially with a character and an, an older sifu like yipman you, i i wish that they had retained more of what was present in the first part of that movie because it just had a lot more heart and yeah um also the thing with the top two knuckles being red after the fight all the wing chun people cringe it's like ugh. It's the bottom three knuckles we hit with in Wing Chun. That was that was real amateur hour stuff there. Uh, yeah, and I mean the, the ten, you know, fight the ten karate guys was was it was impressive to see that with Wing Chun choreography instead of you know kind of Bruce Lee's high kicking, uh, you know, flipping around and stuff. So it was cool to see how they were able to put it together. I thought that from a Wing Chun perspective. There was some very creative choreography going in there, but it it felt tonally like it wasn't part of the rest of the movie. That the first exchange he has with uh, the Leo Sifu, the the guy who comes to challenge him, where he's kind of very friendly, having an exchange with him, and he can show them that he's better, but he doesn't have to hurt him. That is real high level Wing Chun right there. The other stuff that would be how a Wing Chun student would fight, who was still learning. They would, they would gravitate towards the more brutal end of Wing Chun's character. But the older, aged Sifu should be more like he was at the beginning of the film. And so I wish that they had retained it. But I also feel that, uh, and it's been mentioned before, this film is only tainted in hindsight because of the sequels. If you look at it as a standalone film, it's pretty damn good, uh, those flaws on this kind of second act notwithstanding. But it's harder to view it in light of what, like how he just became more and more of a cartoon character with each 
successive sequel and to to go to what bobby said because law mong you know the toad from five deadly venoms is also a good friend of mine and i just felt that they did him dirtier in every film that's a personal thing for me i mean in terms of these things as films i don't know how much people care but law mong is a friend of mine and i felt that they made him more and more of a joke uh, as the sequels went by but i'm gonna refrain from saying that because that has nothing to do with man one uh yeah, and one on the whole, it's it's the only one of the sequel that I of the sequels that I can watch again, and so a very entertaining movie. The Wingdom's done very well. It was scored fantastically well. The music for it the was beautiful. The opening scene mm-hmm. with the wood dummy and the shadows and the way that it turned, and then you see him practicing on the wood dummy. Like that was just so well done. And uh, it, it would have been interesting if uh, Wong Kar Wai had done his film. 10 years earlier, which he had originally promised, is a Yap Toy Chongsi in 97. And then Donnie Yen was originally slated to do a Yip Man movie with Stephen Chow around the same time, where supposedly hmm. Stephen Chow was going to play Bruce Lee and Donnie Yen was going to play Yip Man. Uh, in an alternate <laughs> wow. universe, it would have been very, and that film would have been done in the late 90s. So, would have been very interesting to see what that film would have been like back then. Probably better that they waited. Uh, and you know the kind of rivalry with uh, uh, Wong Kar Wai kind of spinning his wheels on making this movie, and then they had the the problem, the conflict with the name because they wanted to call it Yip Chongzi Man, and then they were like, no, that's too close to our title, and then they just called it Yip Man, and then Wong Kar Wai got the Grandmaster title, and uh, and that film is quite different from this one, and they both stand very well on their own. Um, Yip Man thought it was a great movie. Um, I am definitely a bit nitpicky, and that's all I got to say about that. All right, all right. I will bet anyone on this panel as much money as you want to bet. No movie with Stephen Chow and Donnie Yen would ever get finished. <laughs> yeah, actually. yeah, I agree. Between those two, would I would agree with you on that. I would have loved to have been on the set, but mm. carry on. That, that's like uh, being on the set of Special ID. <laughs> uh, I would have to agree with Eric though uh, that there's one there's one thing I actually liked about one of the sequels. It was the third one. I actually li- uh, like the end villain. I like the main villain in the third movie because he was kind of a gray character, kind of similar to Frankie Chan's character, kind of gray. That was one thing I forgot to mention that I loved. Lam Ching Yang basically kind of calling him out in the Prodigal Son. He's like, no, 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 don't don't give me this friendship. Uh, not, not not friendship. What do you say? Friendly match bullshit talk. I see them rings on your hands. All right. Don't. There's no such thing as a friendly match. No, you don't con me. I kind of actually like that. He kind of called. Kind of called like, him out. I also like the fight in the elevator on the stairs. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, that was a good one. Yeah. But I'm, yeah, I, I'm always going to stand up for Scott Atkins. I don't care. You know. In, well, I like Scott. Four, so. I like Scott. <laughs> But anyway, but yeah, I like uh, Eric kind of call. He kind of mentioned that on his channel that he we like the villain in the third it man because he was a great character. Uh, but yeah, I actually like the villain in the third movie more than this movie. To be honest with you, this villain in this one's kind of very stock. You know, he served its purpose. You know, the good guys got to beat up the bad guy, and it's entertaining. It's fine. Uh, but and, I like the I like the hint of gray in the third one. But that's about it, really, in terms of positive. I, I, I've got to show support to the Chung Tinchi film, which is that character. So I'm going to show support to that one because 
that one being a standalone on its own and a spinoff, even though it had to be tied to Itmon story. Yeah. I actually like Master Z. Like Rick, did you like that? What's that? Master, Master Z. Z. I thought Master Z was okay. My my favorite besides Ipmon is still uh, Final Fight. I, I agree with that one. You gotta I love like, Anthony Wong. Yeah, Anthony, you know, yeah. Alex. I believe there were there were more actual Wing Chun fighters on the crew of Final Fight than I think any other Ipmon movie. Hmm. Absolutely. Oh, wow. and, and and Anthony Wong actually spoke with a Fasan accent. He tried to portray Ipmon more as he was. He did. He, it, that is actually my favorite of all the Yip Men movies. Is Yip Man, mm -hmm. uh, the final fight? I think that movie is fantastic. And even though he's not a martial artist, although he did some Thai Seng Pekwar, he he really decided to study the character. Even the way he smoked the cigarettes was the same mm -hmm. way that Yip Man did it. And he's just a much better actor. So yeah, yes. it's definitely my favorite. Nice. All right, Eric. Agree. I won't butt in. I won't butt in anymore. Go ahead. No, no. <laughs> I'm I'm learning a lot. Um. Yeah, I remember when this movie came out, Donnie was starting to get on a hot streak, kind of like the second wind of his career, because I was watching a lot of his older stuff, and uh, I was like, I don't know how much I like this guy, because <laughs> if you look if you look at his films between Iron Monkey and SPL, it gets a little rough at times, um, but some of his earlier stuff is fantastic. Uh, I really like In the Line of Duty 4, especially. Yeah. But then he started to get on this kind of hot streak, you know. But, of course, going into this film, at this point, I had already seen films like Dragon Tiger Gate, where he's just hamming it up with his acting, man. So I was used to seeing Donnie do that style, you know. So I was actually kind of really impressed with his performance in this one. I, he dialed it down enough to give the character a certain sense of gravitas, which, you know, which I really appreciated. And, uh, you know, just from a basic storytelling standpoint, I know there's historical inaccuracies, but having the character be, you know, a nice guy, you know, he has some, some problems between work-life balance, I guess you could say, and then having this catastrophic event happen to his country, and, uh, you know, he, he has to kind of pick himself up again after losing so much. It's kind of a, it's a, it's a well, it's an oft-used dramatic ploy, but it works, and it, it helps to, to build that dramatic aspect of the film. And um, also, I liked the change in the color palette. It, it mutes more as the film goes along. It's almost like moves to like a black and white film at times. You know, the colors drained out of it, which, you know, obviously emphasizes kind of like the harrowing uh, atmosphere that they're going for in the events. And then I really liked the choreography in it. Um, you know, a lot of people talk about that one versus ten fight. But I think my favorite fight is the one with Fan Su Wong. That's my favorite fight in the movie. You know, he goes in there and uh, right. you set up, you set up Fan's character, and I really like how he's just he's mowing through dudes. He's like, "Come on, is there anybody around here that I can <laughs> that can freaking hang with me, baby?" And then you know he goes in there and he doesn't give up. You know, you think the fight's over two or three times, but he gets back up and he continues, which I like to see in in a fight. Sometimes it gives it a certain length. And, and uh, when it finally ends, I have this sense of satisfaction to it. So that's actually my favorite fight in the movie. I mean, you got Donnie Yen versus Ricky O, baby. I mean, that's just yeah. money. That's a money <laughs> fight. And then uh, we get some Johnny Toe regulars, you know, Simon Yam and Gordon Lam, which, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll watch Simon Yam and freaking anything. And then uh, I was surprised at the casting of the Japanese villain, uh, Hiroyuki Ikuchi, 
because I've I saw some of his films before this, and I kind of I was kind of confused and like, really, he's being cast as the lead villain in this because he was in some of uh, Kiyoshi Kurosawa's films like Charisma, which I really loved, and he was in a uh, in a bank heist comedy called Space Travelers that was really good, the Japanese film. So he's not really an action star. So I think he did handle himself well. I think if they would have extended the fight a little bit more, he could have yeah. handled it. But uh, he's just just so people know, if people don't know the actor, he's just not known for like his action roles. So, you know, I was kind of surprised that he actually handled it as well as he did in this film. So, yeah, I think overall, I, I really enjoy it. I think the pacing is good. You know what I mean? Although I do say, and I say this sometimes with this one, is that because of uh, the Japanese, um, you know, occupation angle to it, it has more of a harrowing, downbeat vibe to it at points in the second half. Whereas some of the sequels have a little bit more of a breezy vibe, which uh, if somebody wants to shove popcorn in their face and drink a beer, you know, I think that the sequels don't have the the dramatic impact, but they might be, you know, uh, they have a more even tone and lighter tone to some of them, especially part three. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I really enjoy this one. It's 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 just a solid flick. Nice. All right, Bobby. Oh, okay. Uh, so. For me, uh, again, I just felt it's uh, the first one was very well done. And I think they should have just left it at that. Um, as a standalone film, I think Donnie portrayed the character well. Um, my favorite version of Ip Man would have to be the one with Chausan, Anthony Wong. Um, again, as, as um, Alex stated, you know, the characteristics that he portrayed of it man he tried to bring the character true to life i felt as though um donnie was more of a heroic type of uh stature for this film as opposed to portraying it as if it man really was um i think fansu wong stole the show we'll pay we'll pay when he was ripping his house apart i'll pay let's go (laughs) keep going you know i love that um also uh tony leung uh, former president of the Hong Kong Stuntman's Association uh, was in that film as well. Um, I worked with him uh, on a um, film in Mexico, but um, I liked his scene as well. Um, so I think that the ten man fight scene it was enjoyable, but when I when I when I use like the name of the show was Versus, and for for the sake of of the of the subject with Wing Chun, I, I would have to. Again, for for pure sake, the action wasn't gimmicky in Prodigal Son, but again, we have wire work in in, uh, It Man 1, um, whereas the physical nature of what the actors do in in Prodigal Son, it's them. And the fight on the table at the end of the movie, or the platform at the end of the movie with the Japanese fighter, I felt that the Japanese fighter was underserved in that particular battle. I felt yeah. it was a highlight moment for Donnie per se, but you know, here throw some moves so I can do this basically. And I shouldn't, you know, you don't want to get that type of a feeling when you're in, in an action sequence. I felt yeah. as though, say, Frankie Chan versus Lam Jingying, that was that was pure martial arts versus martial arts, um, and it and it wasn't gimmicky. The Phoenix Eye Tiger Claw Frankie did it. It really evoked the uh, the true essence of, of, of kung fu. 
Um, I just felt like the table thing at the edge and all, it's all, it's, it's cinematic granted, but again, it's, it's for, it's commercialized. It's to me, it's the fast and furious of Kung Fu films. So I take away from it that for me, it was a, a typical Donnie vehicle for me. Um, in that respect, when you're talking versus like the pure aspect of, of prodigal son, and then when Anthony Wong Chao San did his version, I was I was actually floored with that. I enjoyed that a lot. Um, action wise, I actually like the one that Dennis Toe did too. I mean, that's just me. <laughs> but right. uh, yeah, that's my version of uh, Kyle. You're right. <laughs> All right, he is a kung fu rascal back there. So, <laughs> well, well said, Bobby. Well said. All right, Frank. You know, true story. When I went to see Yip Man 3 at Berkeley um, Shattuck Cinema, the, the guy in front of me at the box office actually said, two tickets for IP Man 3, please. Sorry. Sorry. You know, this is a frustrating series for me um, because it has some good stuff in almost single every single film. Yeah. But overall, you know, the film themselves to me aren't very satisfactory. You know, I'll, I'll start with the sequels. Like the second film, I really enjoyed the Simon Hong choreography. I thought those were brilliant. You know, all the action sequences in that film, the table fight with Low Man and then Samo, um, and then uh, the, the fish market fight. I mean, they're all those are all nicely choreographed, and there's this just Samo Hong style there. Um, even though you know they're not Wing Chun all of the time, but still. You know, they, they were done with your typical, you know, the, the typical standard Samahong quality that I found very appealing. Now, the third film, you have Yu Ping sort of as the action director, even though supposedly Donnie Yen did a lot of improvisation on that, on that film. Like, you know, we mentioned before, the elevator fight, the stairway fight, that's fantastic. The final fight with Max Sang, good stuff. Yeah. And then the last film, you know, the last film, I thought Scott Atkins was the best, best thing about the film. I, yeah. You know, I mean, yeah, he plays an outdoor racist, but but he can fight, you know, and yeah, in many ways, he was really, you know, Donnie Yen's equal in that film, and those fights were nice and it was good to watch. And I, th- I thought Scott did a fantastic job. So now, going back to this first film, I agree, the first half an hour is like the best. Really good, uh, really good pacing, really good story, interesting storyline. I thought Fan Si Wong, you know, Louis Fan's character was the most fascinating, you know, to have this, nor- you know, this northerner coming here to challenge all these southern Fasan Kung Fu masters, you know. It's a nice, it's such a nice theme of saying northern versus southern Kung Fu. I find that very enjoyable. And, and again, and, and then like he, you know, Louis Fan is as Hong Kong as you get, but he he play a, you know, what we call a, a, a Moi Sang Lo, you know, a, a foreigner. I mean, not a foreigner, but northerner, you know. And and he did a great job. He looked just like a, some guy from, you know, from like, like the north, you know, coming in, you know, like this rough guy, uh, muscular, strong, and and his, you know uh, he can really can fight. I thought I hope they. I mean I I really wish they could have done more of him in the later later part of film. Uh, I thought that once once his challenging part of the story was over, I, I somehow felt that the filmmakers didn't know what to do with his character, only to have him show up later. You know a little bit for for a little bit. Filmmakers knew what to do. Donnie didn't want him in it. Exactly. Yeah, that too. Yeah, that's that's yeah. Yeah, that he doesn't want anybody to overshadow him, right? Yeah, yeah. right. So, and but once that, right, once good point, that right? yeah, guy <laughs> a good point. 
But once that Japanese invasion storyline popped in, and you know, Rick knows my feelings about Hong Kong China co-production. From that on, that felt to me almost like your standard example of why I personally felt that you know, whenever you have this Hong Kong China co-production, it just killed the creativity of it. You know, because they wanted to showcase how bad, how evil the Japanese people, the Japanese invasion, the army, the bad guy. You know, they they wanted to show how how horrible the Chinese people suffered. You know how how bad they all. You know they they have, like like Donnie has to you know move away. You know they are living in poverty. You know, they have to he have to go work at a mine, you know, coal mine or what have you. And then and then you start stirring up this patriot, you know, patriotic feeling of look look at the Japanese people killing all of our Chinese kung fu masters. And of course we will have we must have Donnie Yen coming in do a Chinese connection part you know part two two right the one the one in ten the one one beat ten and then beating the Japanese guy you know like like the final fight exactly you know why why couldn't we have that the, the Japanese villain uh give Johnny uh, give Donnie a bit more hard a harder time until yeah. he fights back. We can't because mm -hmm. we have to show that Chinese Kung Fu is better. You know Japanese Kung Fu cannot you know cannot stand a chance against Wing Chung. And then you know you have all these after we have all these moment of crowd coming in, you know, with the, with the you know assassination, and then the crowd stirring up emotion, you know, uh, pushing toward the soldiers, and then you have all these captions saying, "Oh, you know, uh, the Chinese uh, Chinese never never die, or spirit never die, or you know, Japanese surrender, all that." And also, yeah, he left. He went to Hong Kong because he wanted to escape from the communists, not because of, you know, the Japanese thing. And besides, by then, you know, World War Two is over, right? I mean, the invasion is over. So to me, that kind of just ruined ruined the the whole plot line for me. And then the fights, the first like the first one third, you know, all that fight with Louis Fan and Kongman, those are just wonderfully choreographed. But then once you yeah. switch the, with the Japanese angle, came in to me, you know, it, it was less martial arts, right? You know, compared with you know Particle Sun, you know, to me that's not martial arts. It's more, it's almost just like like I don't know. It didn't feel like a real kung fu fight to me. And then this, this, you know, I know a lot of people love this, but it, it became sort of like a parody too. You know, people started making fun of that in, in some of the other films. And, and I just felt that didn't, that this didn't sit too, too right with me. Still, I liked the first half an hour. I thought those are all great. And then one other thing was because of, of the fact that this was a Hong Kong China co-production, you have all these different actors, some from China, some from Hong Kong, right? So everybody has to dub, you know, they all have to dub, uh, you know, they basically shot not. Uh, they they didn't shoot this with live sound. Everybody has to dub their voices later, even though, like, let's say, even you have Donnie Yen, Simon Yen, right? They they still have to dub their own voices later on because they couldn't just take their voice live and then blend in with dubbing Cantonese dubbing of the main actors because it wouldn't match. You can you would sense the different ambience right away. So so the whole soundtrack, all the all the dialogue, they were all post dubbed in the studio, and that to me created this hollow effect which was not very convincing it felt like everybody just talking in a room you know you know i mean yeah their, their exterior sound their, their background sound is ambient but you just felt like you, you could just tell these are all studio bound they were all they were all dubbed they're all speaking in the studio you can feel there's no sense of presence compared with the dubbing in the prodigal sun you know everybody's dubbed in prodigal sun too but it gave you this impression that oh, yeah they're in the peking opera theater yeah they're outdoor they're in the room they're they're in sam of home I couldn't. I. I don't. I didn't get that sense here. I just felt that everybody just 
dubbing their voices. I mean, like so everything's happening in the same room with no different environmental sound, and that kind of took me out of the movie quite a bit. So. Hey Frank, if I could just make a point on that, because it's almost like uh, I had this problem when I was watching Chinese Odyssey two thousand two, and uh, I rewatched it a few weeks ago. And, you know, it has two options for my DVD. It's got the Mandarin and the Cantonese. Problem is you have four lead actors, two of which spoke Mandarin, two of which spoke Cantonese. Right. So either I watch the Mandarin dub where two of the Cantonese actors are dubbed in Mandarin or I watch the Mandarin dub where two of the, you know what I mean? It, right. it, I was almost like, you know, even, you know, even just include a third one and just, just have, just have both languages there. <laughs> like, yeah, like, I, just, I can't listen to these actors being well, dubbed. Which is, why, which is why I love Wong Kar Wai film so much. He didn't care. You know, in, in the Wong Kar Wai world, everybody understands each other, right? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you, you, know uh, 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 you have a Japanese character speaking Japanese. The other guy understands, and he we, we reply Mandarin. You know, it doesn't matter. The multicultural, multi-language world in Wong Kar Wai's film. So that to me was very, you know, very um, interesting, fascinating to watch. And but the best thing about it is they were all recorded live. So you know, that was the voices talking on the set, and it just you know just brings you in in his world so much more than than hearing an obviously dubbed soundtrack that really took me out especially so, with good uh, actors it, it really hurts right all right I'll tell you, when they uh when they brought mike tyson in that that just that lost me right there I just, <laughs> that, that scene was just so it was just so commercialized and unmotivated and i just couldn't understand it it really devalued yeah. that Mm-hmm. that particular episode and it just went downhill from there it just seemed like they were trying to find the next gimmick i mean yeah. when max zang when max zang entered the program he was actually very good i mean that actually brought it back to the mm-hmm. kung fu versus kung fu yeah yeah, yeah. right oh perfect freeze frame right there as well. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just it give me and then and it's, Relying more on wire work as opposed yeah, even, to even even yeah, the first the film, Fu. there was some obviously a wire move, but they were done not right. They were done nicely, right? Exactly, they were done not too bad, not too excessively, right? Right. Yeah, it's okay if it's to enhance, but when right. you lean on it, right, it just becomes too noticeable. Bobby, right. you, I you say use, what you say. No, you use the magic word. The magic word is devalue. They want. What's happening with the Chinese Film Bureau now is they're trying to devalue Kung Fu because Kung Fu requires individuals being able to excel. That's not something the Film Bureau wants. It wants everybody unit lining up and being all together. That's why they canceled Wolf Warrior 3. Coming out tomorrow on a Haya streaming platform is, is the new Philip Ng movie, Undercover Punch and Gun. Mm. And I think I recommend everybody take a look at it because that may be the last one ever made. Because hmm. the film bureau do not want kung fu anymore, and it's a oh. it's a, it's a ridiculous ridiculous movie with some great mar- kung fu ish flavored martial oh. arts. Sweet. So hmm. check that out. It shows up tomorrow. But yeah, right. if you can chart the the humanization, the degrading. The devaluing of kung fu in Chinese right. cinema for quite basically since the final master. The final master, maybe the last 
completely authentic kung fu movie that ever that's ever come out of China. Now, also, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Also, I mean, also the manipulative nature of it, you know, like 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 even the Yin Man series, you know, oh, yeah. like in the first film, the family part with him and his wife. I mean, there's there's already a little bit of melodrama that I I personally kind of felt it, you know enough already, or, or you know, do uh, we really need all this? And then, and by Yin Man three, it, it's like. Is is to a ridiculously high level. You know? Thank you. Know? you. Because, Thank you. Somebody else is finally agreeing with me with the whole family well, yeah, family thing. Because, because, oh, because, like Bobby said, it's the Fast series, so it's got to be about no. the family. <laughs> no, yeah, and, it, and it's because they do it. They did it to cater to the mainland Chinese audiences because uh, they love. They're, they're, not, they're not catering to the audience. They're catering to the bureau. They're catering well, that too. to the film right. So right. if you really want to get a lump in your throat and shed a tear, watch the most recent two Vincent Zhao Huang Fei Hong films. That's just like that's just like, like clinical attack on kung fu genre. Well, I saw, I saw the latest uh, Yun Biu. Yun Biu recently made a movie called Operation Bangkok, and, and I and I saw that again. There's all these melodramatic scenes of like you know mom crying over the dead kids or. Or, or yeah. you, know, uh, you know, family members crying over their dead family members. It's like I, I don't need. If I want to see this, I go see a drama. I, I'm, I, yeah. you know, I want to see action in the action film. I don't need 15 minutes of this. You know, I, I, my, I do silent interviews with Choi Hark now. The last two times I saw Choi Hark, I would just hold up a little note which I would then destroy, so it couldn't be, it couldn't be traced to him, and I just watched his face in reaction. Yeah. It is so difficult for good filmmakers to make movies in China now. So they'll do whatever the bureau will allow them to do. Yeah. I do have a question. Yeah. Would it be possible for like a Hong Kong director or set of directors to say, you know what, screw this. I'm making a movie for like a million, two million dollars, you know, Marsh, just a, you know, basic fighting movie in the city. I'm going to have mainland officials being the villains, and we're going to have Hong Kong people be the good guy. And just, just give a big this. Would that be under possible? The, oh, of new national security law. Forget it. That's a yeah. that's a, a lofty request. Won't happen. Yeah. You know, I mean, to the people I mean, who have who hold your film in their hands. Your film will never get out unless they approve. Right. Mm-hmm. Again, I guess the reason why Johnny Toe hasn't made a carbon robber film in five years. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. And also, Wolf Warrior Two was the most successful movie in 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 Chinese film history. Wolf Warrior right. Three was canceled, not right. by thing. Even if you even if you said I'm only releasing this in Hong Kong, yeah, it's Hong still Kong wouldn't work. You cannot recoup. Not in the box office. China. It's not Hong Kong anymore. It's ruled by China. Yeah, but if you keep the budget to a million bucks, you couldn't, get, you couldn't make a million bucks. It'll never come out. Okay. It has to hmm. be approved Hong by Kong the Chinese Kong. Film Bureau. Frank, tell him Hong Kong. Hong Kong is lost. Okay, Hong Kong is lost. Let me do my impersonation of a Hong Kong citizen who is who is over twenty-one. This is my impersonation of a Hong Kong citizen who's over twenty-one. They're always looking over their shoulder mm-hmm. to see who's listening because there is always someone listening. Whether you're on your phone Correct. or whether you're on in public. I mean, you have to install a tracking app now where if you go see a movie theater, they have you have to you have to use that app, check in yourself and go to the movie theater. So 
Now imagine, let's oh, say wow. a movie theater in Hong Kong dare to show like a you know a documentary about the Hong Kong protest two years mm -hmm. ago. You and then you 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 check in with your app. You went in and saw the documentary. Let's say three months later, the government said it's illegal to watch this documentary. They started looking through the app to see who actually went to see this documentary. Do you think they're going to come uh, after you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And also, even if the Hong Kong guy came to America to do it, no American would support that film either because they all want to have the Chinese box office. Yeah. All right. Even if you do it, and also, how suicidal are you? I mean, even if you do it on your phone and use, you know, and, and put it up online, if you're Chinese, you're, you can't go home again. Mm -hmm. so you don't have, you have to be Chinese. The law is supposed to be global. That's what they said. You can be, you can be a, a gaijin. Yeah. You're criticizing them, and you can be in trouble. Technically, By the way, we could all be in trouble now, but you guys can blame it on me. Thank you, Rick. I appreciate it. Thanks, Rick. That. I think I'm the oldest one among them. Rick. If you don't see uh, next week's verses, yeah. if you don't see next week's verses, you know what happened. All right. No, I had to ask the question. I just no. had to know that there was a 0%. Chance. I just had to know if it was zero. Now I know. No, the thing is, no, they are still. You got a better chance of having lunch with Moses tomorrow. It's not happening. There are still 100% Hong Kong budget production. Don't get me wrong. There are still films that were but, made hundred percent Hong Kong budget, but from people, yeah. But the, the subject matter is definitely not going to be kung fu. You know, it's going to okay. be about like, whatever okay. is happening in Hong Kong. It's still got to be approved. Mm -hmm. And by the way, if no, I, not, not by China senses though. Yeah, if China gets to me, I will be on next week's episode. But I'll be doing, but I'll be doing this. China's great. <laughs> <laughs> I was badly educated. I've been properly re-educated. <laughs> that was oh, not me last week. <laughs> and you'll that, know. Oh, me. <laughs> that was hilarious. Oh, but yeah, I, I, I'm glad, Frank, you brought that up. Just to rewind a little bit earlier about the the, the, the family drama, just you know. And it, what's what's interesting is in the same because I rewatched it today, and you were Rick, you were right about that subtitle. They did botch that. Yeah. Because I watched it today, and it was like. They screwed you it don't up. Start fighting, the house will be ruined. Right, uh, but Frank, the whole the whole family melodrama thing. It's like it's weird because in the first Ip, Ip Man movie, it's resolved. You even right. have because the whole movie she's looking at him like you got to do martial arts again. Oh God, right. Right? right? But even by the end, she breaks down and cries, and she says, "I should have understood more what he what he was all about, what he's trying to do." And then they turn the truck around, right? right? And right. she goes to meet up with him at the end. But in the sequels, I was like, oh, I guess we forgot about all that understanding. <laughs> and it's just, me, 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 me. Oh, you got to go fight again? Oh. No, I was they, like, oh. oh, you know what? I have cancer now. I'm dying. Oh. Remember, yeah, he, was like, fighting for, he was fighting for his one self of family. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so less of, less, less of this, less of this, right? Oh, he's got to fight again. Oh. And more of this. Here we go. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, let's see that again just for fun. Oh, oh, Samurai's bloodthirsty. Oh, no. Oh, I'm, Jesus. I'm going to be. Let's vote. Let's vote. I love it. You ready? You guys ready? Yes. 
All right. We'll start with Kyle. I'll be last because it's fun that way. Actually, let's do something a little different this time. Let's show the audience uh, voting poll first. I usually uh, save for the end or if we need to break a tie. Here you go. And uh, repeat again, Eric, what you said uh, what we were talking about earlier. The hmm. voting poll was last time was mostly based off of what? Oh, we were talking about it earlier. What you was it, Rick? Eric. You said Eric. I said Eric, but you, 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 oh, can, you can answer that. Based off of modern... Recent, oh, recency bias. Recency yeah. bias, yeah. So I think that's what this is right here. You ready? Check this out. 100%. Oh, boy. <laughs> figured. <laughs> I figured. Oh, wow. <laughs> but basically that's saying 89% of them saw Ipmon and 11% yeah. of them saw Prodigal Son. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Nobody... So out of curiosity, I always like to post these for fun. But all right, let's get, get into it. Who's going to win tonight's versus Kyle, who you got? So I almost went into a tangent, so I'm going to expose my tangent just slightly. So I appreciate Yipmon, like, almost bringing this boost into, uh, I would say, learning into people wanting to learn Wing Chun after that. And Super Alex, if if you agree on that, did it almost, like, like promote Wing Chun even more after Yipmon? came out because it definitely we get tons of new students every time one of these comes out we get floods of new usually Mm -hmm. chinese students join after these Mm -hmm. movies come out oddly enough so definitely after yitman 2 i did go out and learn uh, a version of wing chun in my city of winnipeg in canada and studied it for seven years and then but i would say like watching this original film over and over again it has that kind of vibe of like yes modern modernization of like you see how it could be shot now but when you look at an actual character and story wise i'll still go with the prodigal son because honestly it has character it has like like a story that you could really appreciate so my vote is honestly the prodigal son all right it man right <laughs> no, thirty minutes of it, mom. One hundred and four minutes of Prodigal Son. There you go. All right, Prodigal Son for Rick, Alex. Bite, Prodigal Son, one hundred percent, all the way. All right, Eric. I've only seen Prodigal Son twice. In five years, ask me again. I might change my mind. I'm actually okay. going with Ip Man. I'm too right. entertainment value. All right. There you go. Nice. Nice. Bobby. Oh, um, I'm going to have to go with uh, Ip Man, of course. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you, you got yeah, me there. You actually got me there for a second. i to go, son. <laughs> Without a doubt. Right. Copy that. Frank. Hands down. So, I, I mean, I, to be honest, I was disappointed by that poll. I mean, 11 versus 89 is like, what What the heck? I mean, so I guess I guess I can spill a little secret if, if, if only to get people to more to watch this film. There will be a, an upcoming release of a remastered Blu-ray of The Prodigal Son. Yes. Okay. They should be determined, but it's coming, folks. All right? It's coming. Um, I mean... Like, you know, before the show, I rewatched both films to refresh my memory a bit. And for Yip Man, every time I finish watching a fight, I skip, I skip, I skip, I 
skip to the next part. Skip to the next part. Yeah. Okay, I finished the film in like half an hour. Prodigal Son, the moment I started watching it, I couldn't stop. I kept watching. I couldn't fast forward. The dialogue was great. It was the original story. The premise was great. Acting was great. You know, I mean, the fight astonishing, you know. So, hands down, Prodigal Son for me. Yeah. No, all right. Yeah. No all comparison. Right. All right. Still love it, man, but this is just a classic. I just, I can't, I can't help it. It's like a warm hug, this movie. <laughs> it's like, come here, prodigal son. Oh, yeah. I love it. I love it. So today's winner is... Yes. All right. Nice. Nice. Yeah, Tonight like was fun. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you like it, huh? cool. Bobby? Awesome. Come back anytime, my friend. Oh, Next week, we can, we can it, announce man. it now. I, I, I haven't seen Frank in so many years. You know, it's just uh, I'm just so happy to see Frank, Alex, Same my here, brother, man. Rick. My God. You know, I'll tell you a little quick thing. The first interview Samuel ever did in the United States was done with Rick Myers. Wow. Look at first that. ever <laughs> since it was Rick Myers. Remember that, Rick? I Hotel will. Maria? I will never forget it. And I, every okay. time I see, it's every time Samo sees me and I see Samo now, I'm just gratified by his reaction. Because it's invariably yeah. at the end of the day when he's talking to ignorant <laughs> American reporters. And I walk in and he lights up. It's just like, <laughs> let's talk, it's buddy. Funny. It's it's funny because Sam was like I'm, I, I wanna, I'm I'm coming to America I want to do movies I want I set me up with some interviews the first person I called was Rick Myers the look only person nice. yeah look at that awesome awesome but this was fun yep. this is a lot of fun yeah, guys it it's great awesome. having these badasses here on the channel on uh, next Costco, week's wish to meet you my friend oh Kyle he's talking to you oh thank you so much <laughs> Robert thank you so yes. much. Awesome to have all these badasses on the panel tonight. Tonight was a lot of fun. Next week, if you want to retoin, that's right, we're doing Once Upon a Time in China versus Once Upon a Time in China 2, baby. That's going to be next. That's another hard one. That's another hard one, but that's next Thursday. So make chat, Movie Dojo Army. Thanks for watching. You can follow all of these badasses. You can find them on Facebook, all the all the social medias. That's right. Make sure you follow Rick Myers' podcast, buy his book, buy all the Eureka Blu-rays that Frank is a part of. <laughs> Support uh, Bobby's upcoming movie. We, we're going to have a panel here in the future. We're going to talk about it. We're going to have a fun talking about it. Uh, plug it again one more time. Bobby, the name of the movie. Made in Chinatown starts uh, May 11th, uh, distributed by Vision Films. Uh, And August 11th, my birthday, it's released overseas. All right. All right. There you go. Awesome. In the film. That's right. Uh, There you go. Made in Chinatown. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Made in Chinatown. Make sure you guys watch it, pay for it, buy it, support Bobby. And it looks badass. It looks like a lot of fun. It looks hilarious. I can't wait to watch it and talk about it uh, with you in the future. But, yeah, this is a lot of fun. We're going to do this again. A quick segue for tomorrow's guest is we're going horror. We're switching it from kung fu to horror tomorrow. We're going to have, me and my homie Cryptic Soul, we're going to have director Tom Laughlin, excuse me, McLaughlin, and actor (laughs) C.J. Graham. That's right, Jason Voorhees himself. 
Jason, Friday the 13th, Jason Lives, Part 6, my favorite in the franchise. I love that movie so much because it's a, both a satire of Slasher and an homage, and I absolutely love it. It's a blast. So that's tomorrow at 4.30 p.m. Make sure you guys show up, and we're going to have some fun talking horror movies. All right, guys. We see you guys. See all you badasses next time. Yes. And if anybody Thank messes you. with you, anybody messes with you, put that thumb right here. <laughs> Do that. You all right? <laughs> All right, guys, take care. Hey. Right. You said we could curse. <laughs> <laughs>